The Oil Can Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Oilers' ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers and then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Once you get on there... You're going to find out how much is available to you, how much is coming up in your area, and it really is an advantage when you use Game Time. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hi there, it's Alan Mitchell along with Daniel Nugent Bowman. Daniel, how are you? Keeping warm here in Edmonton. You know, the snow was was coming down over the weekend, and we the temperatures dropped too. But it's uh, at least the sun's out today. That's that's the silver lining. I think we'll go with today. <laughs> well, I know that that the, the folks who uh, come out to the prairies uh, in their first winter. Now, this isn't your first winter. Uh, can often be a little bit overwhelming. Not because there's lots of sunshine. It's just the the searing cold for a long period, and the fact that when you're snowed in, you're kind of snowed in. But I guess Toronto's a little getting snowed in today. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. I guess it's getting a little bit of a storm today as well. Yeah, and my my baseline was uh, I spent four years in Saskatchewan in Saskatoon, um, and so I, I I've, I've I've experienced uh, cold winters. I, my first uh, job at a journalism school was in Fort McMurray, so that was a nice fun cold winter there too. Uh, but my gauge was like in Saskatoon, the four years I was there, we had, I think the first snowfall we had was, uh, was Thanksgiving. And the first time the snow stayed on the ground was, uh, the end of October. And then last year, two days after Labor Day, the snow falls and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what am I getting myself into? But, but, uh, it actually last winter, I didn't find too bad. I didn't plug in my car till, till February. So that's a, that's a minor win. I would say around here. Yeah, I, I would suggest to you that, that uh, it's fortunate that you've come out uh, uh, to Western Canada in the uh, 2010s as opposed to the 1970s because <laughs> it was, it's a little different. And that's okay. It's all okay. Uh, so let's start here. The Edmonton Oilers are now on the road. They, they beat Anaheim Sunday night uh, heading into San Jose. Uh, the, the last time you and I and John, who, by the way, uh, couldn't make it today, I, there, there's some uh, issues with electricity and stuff at his place, but the, we were talking about Ryan Nugent Hopkins and his performance. And I, I think our, our conversation must've inspired him. Probably. I mean, w- what else could have? <laughs> no, he, uh, he's had, he's had two great, two great games since that, you know, that conversation. Um, he was the, the Oilers player of the game per se, uh, on Friday against the Devils and, and had kind of the Harley Davidson hat in the dressing room. And, uh, then, um, I guess his performance on, uh, last night on Sunday probably got, got overshadowed a little bit by a couple of great McDavid goals and a hat trick from, from the captain, uh, you know, obviously four, four assists from Leon Dreisaitl as well, but, um, he was really shooting the puck well and had two goals in that game too. Of course he got his first, um, uh, five on five goal of the year, which is obviously long overdue and kind of the point of our of our conversation last week. But uh, if they can get him going, 
which we all knew what was, or we we all figured was, was going to happen uh, sooner than later, or at least at some point. Uh, that's a real real boon to the Oilers, and I think uh, as they get towards San Jose tomorrow night, uh, which is a you know a team that is really underwhelmed this year. Uh, if, they, if he can keep that up, they might be able to just week out another win and get a perfect road trip. Well, he he definitely there seems to be some chem there, uh, Chase on and Neil. Uh, what I saw originally when they when they went with uh, Nuge was there there seemed to be two guys trying to play right wing and and nobody trying to play left wing and they they seem to have straightened that out a little bit. The other thing that I that I've noticed is that that uh, Nugent Hopkins he he hit a lot of posts and a couple went in off uh, uh, James Neal early on, but he's always had a really good shot. But I uh, like McDavid I, I guess a little bit and maybe even Drysaddle too if we're honest about it. These uh, these centermen that the Oilers have are are not shoot first kind of guys and I think that the one thing that that could benefit Nugent Hopkins out of this entire thing is uh, using his shot more both shots against Anaheim the power play was gorgeous the power play marker but but just being aggressive and trying to score from ugly places sometimes I think these guys are so creative they 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 don't necessarily go for the ugly goals and why not try for an ugly goal here or there I think that's changing a little bit with with Drysaddle, obviously with the fifty goals last year, and, and playing with McDavid. Somebody's got to shoot the shoot the puck, and and he can he can sure fire it, you know, when McDavid's setting him up with a one timer. But with Nugent Hopkins, it's a, certainly a fair point because um, you know he's he's thought <clears throat> excuse me thought to be a pass first guy, and and that's kind of the mo. Um, but yeah, he had over twenty goals last season. You know, of course, when you're playing with a guy like James Neal, who's definitely shoot first, and, and uh, at least right now, uh, Chase on, who's who's kind of more of a of a shooter too. You're you're, you're probably going to uh, you know resort to to wanting to make that pass or have that be your first uh, first thought anyway. Um, but there's no question. Um, uh, Nugent Hawkins can, can shoot the puck, and you saw that a little bit at the start of the year when when he was um, teamed up with with McDavid. Um, but when you when you score over twenty goals and setting a career high as he did last season, um, you, you got to be doing something right when when the puck's on your stick. So I think you know if he can continue to, sh- to, to shoot a little more and think that way, that would really kind of help uh, diversify that line. Uh, at least that pairing with James Neal, you know that. That other wing uh, seems to be a little in flux, and we've talked about uh, Nygaard possibly getting a run at it when he gets back. Um, but if, and especially if that's the case, if if, if Nygaard is going to play on that line, um, you, you think of the three, uh, James Neal would be the default shooter. So they need a little bit more um, kind of uh, diversity in in that line, uh, and I think Nugent Hopkins shooting could could kind of add a little bit more to that. The uh, you, you mentioned earlier, and it was such a, a good point about. Nuge scores twice, looks good, but the the McDavid goals, but one specific goal, uh, really overshadowed everything. I, I I sometimes wonder if McDavid, about every year, he just decides he's going to score a goal that is so exceptional that you go, okay, well, I'll never see that again. Because I'll tell you, Daniel, I watched that goal last night. I don't think I'll ever see a goal like it. That That was a unique goal by a ridiculous hockey player. Yeah, then, but which which goal are we talking about now? Because he also scored against <laughs> against uh, Philadelphia, and that goal that he burned uh, Oliver Ekman, Ekman Larson on last week was just as good. So I mean, you you, you watch a game and you're going to see something. Maybe not every game, but every maybe once a week is the way we're we're looking right now uh, from McDavid that you don't really see from too many other guys. Uh, I I thought that that goal he scored uh, against Philadelphia, you know, getting kind of 
finding that aerial pass or aerial flip from uh, Chris Russell and burning Justin Braun and, and kind of, you know, eluding the a poke check from Carter Hart was, was absolutely outstanding. And even last night was, was great too. Just, you know, pushing off uh, for Jakob Silverberg and then, and then just a little tuck right under the bar. Uh, John Gibson just looked really stunned. Like, how did he kind of do that? But, um, you know, he's, he's obviously, I don't think uh, anyone, it's not a surprise to anyone that he can do this, but at, at the same time, you, you kind of wonder what the heck he's going to do next. And I guess there's no way really to know other than to, to find out because he's truly a, a one of a kind talent. Daniel, I, I, you know, I know you've uh, been out in Edmonton covering the orders for a couple of years now. And I know also that you, you, um, um, have have monitored the fan base and you know what's what's happening in terms of what uh uh is is you know going on among the the oiler fans i i'm starting to get the feeling now uh for the first time really since 2016 that oiler fans somewhat understand that this year could be and might be and probably is going to be a little different because the, 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 everybody's waiting for the bottom to fall out. It hasn't really happened yet. Uh, and and from the point of view of follow, covering the story every day and covering the team every day, I've asked you this before, but do you feel like there's a different atmosphere here under Dave Tippett that maybe wasn't there a year ago? Um, I, th- I think so, just because like he and Holland coming in, you know, they have long-term deals obviously Holland's five and Tippett three but you know there's there's kind of this runway where they can build the team the way they want and they know that it's not going to be a quick fix obviously the team's playing great uh or, or pretty well I mean and the record is great um and there's there's some goodwill kind of built up here uh we don't know how long uh you know it will last uh for for this season um, but the plan is to to not make these quick fixes and uh, or try to make quick fixes. You know, we talked about yeah, well, they could really use a third line center or obviously another scoring winger. Or, you know, when Larson went out, maybe a defenseman or these types of things. And and they're not really panicking and they're letting a guy like Ethan Bear come in and and maybe take the odd lump or two, but letting him as long as he can you know fulfill the rule, take it and run with it. Obviously, trying guys and moving pieces around in the lineup because we've we know that the the scoring depth isn't quite there, hasn't been thus far. Um, so they're not they're not going to you know push a magic button or, or wave a, a wand or anything like that to to kind of fast track things. And I think that's really smart for this organization. You know, it's uh, you know I haven't been here for for very long, but you 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 obviously watch from afar and you see, hey, this team has made the playoffs once since two thousand six, and that's enough to to make anyone's hair either fall out or. or to to yank it out because that's really frustrating. And I, and I get that from a, for either the organization or the, the fan base at large. But, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is try to, to, to make these quick fixes and, and bring in a guy, obviously say like Milan Lucic and, and trade away, you know, Taylor Hall and do that kind of thing where, you know, you're trying to fast track things or, or, or make a, a move that isn't really the right one to make. Um, that all it does is set you back. So I think, you know, uh, I'd be the first to criticize if, if Ken Holland or and or Dave Tibbet make some kind of move like that, but I, I don't see them doing that. And and what they're doing is is smart. They see that this team is is a year or two away from being a true contender. And and for now, hey, if they can if they can stay at the top of the standings or or make the playoffs and and, and maybe play around, maybe win around, that's only going to help some of these younger players and obviously guys like McDavid and Drysaitel who haven't played much in the playoffs. 
Nugent Hopkins too, um, really allow them to, to grow as, as players and, and try to, you know, reach the next level of their game and the team's game. So um, I know there's a lot of frustration in the fan base and people want to see things happen faster, but I think they're, they're kind of doing the right thing. As, what do you think about that? Just given, you, you know, you've had a, your, your finger on the pulse a lot longer than I have around here. Well, I would say that, that there are things that Holland did that, that are still uh, somewhat unpopular in the summertime. And I'll use this as an example. He cleared out all of the prospects who were on the NHL roster trying to become NHL players. Yes, Apollo uh, even to a certain extent, Drake Kajula types, uh, no defenseman uh, aside from Ethan Bear, who plays a big role all the time. So they, they took all that group out, Kyler Yamamoto. That group doesn't exist now in Edmonton. They're all playing in Bakersfield or in Europe. And he replaced him with basically with penalty killers. And it doesn't matter whether it's Patrick Russell or uh, Riley Shahan or Granlund or, or Archibald. They're all sort of, they're not the same player, but they're all here for a very specific role. And I, and I, I think even that small thing, I just thinking about the Anaheim game where the Oilers were, were just trucking to the, the penalty box. I've watched games like that where the Oilers get up a little bit. Maybe they're up 4-1. They give up a couple of power play goals. Now it's 4-3. They start panicking and sending the puck around the glass and, you know, it's tied and then they get scored on late and it's 5-4 and you don't even get a point out of it. The, the, the the guys who are the considered what what fans call the placeholders Archibald Shahan I I know that there's a sense they're not scoring at even strength but that penalty kill last night was an underrated part of of the game because it wasn't six two for the entire game and there were points at which the orders were up by a goal or two where they took penalties and and really Anaheim didn't have much to to uh, answer in terms of a power play the penalty kill was that good. And I, I, I'm just impressed with that one thing. And I, and I, I wonder, you know, going back in my mind, all those years when the Oilers were, were bringing up kids and trying to get them to, to, to play at the NHL level and, and also asking guys who weren't necessarily penalty killers to do that job, how many wins they, they didn't get along the way just because of things like that. And, and, the Holland slash Tippett way just—I mean—it just makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. Yeah, there have only been a, few, a couple or a few games where the penalty kill, um, uh, you know, hasn't been great in, in you know on a particular night. Uh, there was a game last week I can't remember uh, which which one it was. It must have been the uh, the middle game of the week against St. Louis. Yeah, they allowed the two the uh, the two power yeah, play goals right. for the Blues. Uh, you know, and there's there's another one I think back uh, the previous month. But you know, typically or generally speaking, rather the, the penalty killing uh, has been pretty well. At least it's it's killed off penalties, which has been a huge issue for this team over the last few years, right? And and you know, I know you know. The, the, they put out, or the team put out, and, and media types put out the you know the lineup um, when the when the team was announced, say you know just before the season opener in, in October, and you see the the lineup, you see the depth, and you know it's people doing those uh, guy 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 uh, kind of joking uh, <laughs> you know things there. And it's true, and and so you look at a team with McDavid and, and Drysdale, even Nugent Hopkins to a lesser extent, James Neal. And and you see just a bunch of kind of guys rounding out the lineup, and and that that's that puts them in a in a in a, in a you know to be targeted for for criticism around the league, but they what Holland did was bring all these guys in again, except for 
two guys he brought back in Chase on and and Kara uh, on one year contracts. So they're not they're not tied to these guys, and they, they all they all maybe except for Marcus Granlin paying on one three, they're all brought in for relatively in a, you know pretty cheaply. So you can move those guys out, you know, if, if all of a sudden, you know, they really like how some of them are, are penalty killing, whether it's Russell or Shahan or, or Archibald, you can probably get that guy back on a, on a pretty cheap one or two year deal too. So, um, you know, obviously they, they need to provide a little bit more or they need to find guys that can provide a little bit more offense. You probably need at least one more top six winger. Um, and and, and uh, we've talked at ad nauseum about the third line center spot, but at least they're not tied down to these terrible deals, uh, and and they, they there's some some flexibility uh, coming in the next year or two with how he can construct the roster, which I don't think a lot of teams in the league have that. Uh, they have the stars locked up, and the, you know there, there's there's some wiggle room here to to kind of do something in the next little while. There's three things that we need to talk about on the All Can podcast before. Uh, before we say goodbye today, so let's let's start with the Adam Larson one. Uh, we we heard last week it was seven to ten days. He skated uh, when New Jersey was here, which was kind of cool. His old team. I, I think we agreed a week ago that Joel Pearson was the guy that that was was most likely to pop out. But I wanted to revisit it just just to get your opinion, Daniel. On um, it feels like Russell Pearson is playing well. I think Nurse Bear is really playing well. Uh, Clefbaum and Joel Pearson are finding their way, but there's a, some wobble here or there. Uh, Pearson's play on the first goal last night was maybe a little suspect. Is that where you see Larson going back into the lineup with with Clefbaum over Pearson, or do you have another uh, opinion on on where you think he lands when he arrives back? Well, it's funny. I, I, there are a couple of us, uh, well, uh, myself and uh, Jim Matheson and, and and Reed Wilkins. We had a chance to, to chat with uh, Adam Larson after his skate on, on Friday. He was in really good spirits. Uh, thinks he'll be back. Well, uh, Friday he said about a week and a half. So you know we're you know three days or four days later now. So I you know I think we're we're probably he's going to come back uh, in time for that longer road trip next week, uh, which is a really big big uh, key because. You know when he when he was hurt, um, there was this real kind of pall cast up upon the team. It was just really you could see the frustration in a lot of guys, and you could see, you know, this is a, a big injury. I mean, Larson had a tough year last year, but he really was their one true right-handed defenseman that that um, that the team could count on. And and then all of a sudden, Ethan Bear steps in for him and and has played tremendous, right? So I, I and, and and Larson was very complimentary of, of Ethan Bear's game, and I was asking him about that, and he really liked what what Bear was was bringing in his in his stead. So I, I think you know you leave probably leave that pair alone, uh, Bear and uh, and Darnell Nurse, and and probably put uh, Larson back with with Oscar Kleppbaum, which was the pair that that was used uh, for the whole season last year, um, and. You can probably like I mean Kleppbaum and 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 uh, Larson played against the opponent's top lines last year. Now Bear and uh, and Nurse are doing that, so you might be able to you know either rotate or or have them change that on a game to game basis. Or if you you know obviously have one playing against the top line, one playing against the second line. So I think the top four with Larson back and as long as he's healthy and and all that, I I think there that could be really decent top four for this team 
And you have Chris Russell, who I really like as a number five. Obviously, the, the salary is what it is, and you don't want to pay a number five defenseman that much. But back on his strong side as a number five defenseman, um, that's just fine. Um, so then you're, you're obviously looking at what to do with Joel Pearson and, and Matt Benning. Um, or yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, there's uh, Brandon Manning, who I would assume would be uh, waived at that point. Um, but that I, I would probably keep Pearson up because um, I think he can probably learn a little bit more at the, at this level. You know, you you, you might want to send him down for either a conditioning stint at times, or or maybe give him a little bit of time in the AHL. But I I really think. You know, if there's a way to kind of rotate him and and uh, Benning in uh, to play alongside a guy like like Russell, that could be a you know a decent third pair. Um, you know, Benning and and um, and Pearson don't kill penalties. Uh, Benning only does if you know he's basically the fifth man up. So if one of the defensemen take a penalty, then he's in. But um, that gives them a little bit more, I think. Um, freedom and flexibility and in, in, in that too so that i mean that's what i would do uh, i think we're you know probably another week or so away from from uh, larson getting back so um i think there's a little bit to to be figured out uh, obviously Parisons had a couple of rough games he did play pretty well on friday and getting a couple points as well but you're right the coverage on the on the first uh, anaheim goal on his part wasn't tremendous that's the the kind of the urgency and, and him picking up coverage in the defensive zone is a huge um, maybe the, the area he needs to work on the most. Um, but when the puck's on a stick, he, I, I find him to be a pretty decent player, but there's no question at this point of his career, uh, as he gets acclimated to the NHL still, that he does need to play a pretty sheltered role. Yeah, I think it's uh, at some point, if, if Pearson can establish himself, I think as early as the deadline, we might see Matt Benning move just to, because they got to figure out Caleb Jones and William Lagos. Oh, here we too. go again. Come on, give me back, another Matt Benning take. A little bit. <laughs> it's almost Christmas, my friend. Uh, so uh, I'm Alan Mitchell. He's Daniel Nugent Bowman. This is the Oil Can Podcast. Um, two more, and let's let's begin with this one. Yesapulia Yarvi saying that he's uh, his plan is to stay in uh, Europe this year for the rest of this year. Uh, that was big news today. Uh, for me, it's not big news because I don't. I I think that's where we were headed anyway. What What do you think? I, I kind of figured that that was the plan, or you know, I just I just didn't see Holland being able to get enough for him to warrant it or to to constitute a trade in the next um, what three weeks or whatever anyway. Um, but I think it's probably the right move for him to just get confident and keep keep playing. Obviously, that means uh, you know a trade is probably unlikely uh, before the December deadline. You know, a team that uh, would want to acquire his services would probably want to get him in the lineup. So I don't think you know we're looking probably now uh, like at a June you know draft time uh, trade for him that would probably make the most sense in terms of a of a natural timeline. Um, but yeah, this, I mean this this Pooley everything um, has obviously been been pretty vexing since the. Um, uh, you know, since you know, last or a few months ago, February, uh, when he was injured, and then basically that at that time, you know, talk about him not wanting to uh, to play for the Oilers anymore and wanting a change. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, as we talked about from a hockey standpoint, you know, it makes would be behoove him to play in Edmonton because there are lack you know big holes on the wings uh and a fresh you know start in terms of a coach and general manager that weren't here last year but um you know i for him to to want to stay over there i think is the right move uh if he's 
you know, rather than come back this year. Because I think the worst case for him would be, you know, obviously the, the ranks on the wall and it's un, extremely unlikely that he'll be back in Edmonton. So for him to go to a new team and try to like catch up in mid, early to mid-December, uh, that could be the worst thing for his confidence. So I think uh, from his perspective, it's probably makes most sense. Uh, from an Oilers perspective, it's, it's, too bad that they're probably not going to get any asset for him right now. Uh, but again, this year being a transition transition year, as we've talked about all along, I think that it's not the, the biggest issue that uh, they're not going to get something, um, especially something that's not up to the value of a former number four overall pick. Um um, you know, in terms of, of trying to get something for Pooley RV, it probably make more sense to get him uh, to get something for him at the draft and, and kind of work your team as you head toward free agency at that time. I think the 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 window is for me anyway. It's now open. Uh, I just think Holland's gonna uh, he's gonna outweigh this. Either he gets what he wants, or Pulleyarvi will play a year in Edmonton. I I I I, I just sense that Holland has decided. Uh, and he certainly hasn't said anything that would make me uh, publicly believe that. He hasn't said anything publicly that would make me uh, believe it. But I, I, I look at Ken Holland's track record where he's been patient squared uh, in Detroit with guys who had, had bolted. And, and it seems like he's more than willing to wait. And that means that all of the 10 cents on the dollar uh, trade offers that he's received are, are not good enough. This, to me, could go at least to the draft. And then we'll see. But... I, I wouldn't, as horrible as it sounds, I would not be surprised if we saw something either break via trade or Pugliarvi returning just before training camp in the fall of 2020, it would be. Uh, I certainly agree with you on that stance in terms of, yeah. of, of Holland. Is, I, every time I've talked to I haven't talked to him a, a lot about it, but the few times I have, there's no indication that he's willing to trade him um just to trade him to, to, to help his career, to help Pugliarvi's career. It's He wants the the appropriate value back in a trade for, for Jesse Pugliarvi, and he's willing to wait. And it makes sense because, again, this team is in transition, and Pugliarvi, um, you know, his value wasn't great, uh, obviously, when he, you know, when he was injured in February and, and didn't play the rest of the year um, because he hasn't, by his by his fault and by the team's development, um, it's two-way street here, but he hasn't showed uh, any real signs of a, of a fourth overall pick at this point, so you're not going to get that value. So Holland's in a little bit of a jam there, but he's he's willing to wait, and, uh, you know, I think you're right. I think it, I, I don't really see him coming back to Edmonton, but I, 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 I don't... It's it's not going to... Uh, Holland is, Again, Holland is not going to give him away, so... Who knows? It could be a chance. It could be a uh, case where he's playing uh, year number two in, in Finland, perhaps. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's fascinating to watch this general manager, especially on the heels of Peter Shirelli, who was so aggressive. Just a different style. I know it didn't work out with Shirelli, but but I, I'm not one of those who hammers people. I feel like I feel like Shirelli had the world in front of him. He had his own pressures. Holland has a different set of pressure. That's sort of what happens when you're Ken Holland as opposed to everyone else. Now, now, Al, 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 can I just interject here? I, what what do you think? So, if the Oilers were you know a year or two along here and this was I think there would just be more pressure on Holland and more criticism if he was uh, taking kind of this slow play approach with, with Pugliarvi if the Oilers were in a different spot in their development and that's why I think right now he's doing this right but I think maybe in two years or, or a year whatever the case may be and this team was in a little bit different different setup if he was playing 
if they were one asset away and he was holding on to Puliarvi, I mean, do you think it would be kind of a different conversation we'd be having right now? Oh, for sure. And I think yeah. that, that all of this gets settled July 1 when he goes out and gets his his right winger and whatever. And then, sure. you know, you could trade Pugliarvi for a draft pick uh, if you've got other ammunition. And that probably comes either via trade in June or, or July 1. Uh, all right, we got about five minutes left. I wanted to, this has just happened this morning. Um, and and we're early Monday afternoon now. Uh, it has been announced by Sportsnet that uh, Don Cherry uh, is no longer uh, with the 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 company. Uh, Coach's corner is either gone. I think it's likely gone or in a state of flux. Uh, certainly, I don't think we'll see anything like it this year. But uh, I, I, this is how I feel about about Don Cherry uh, as an individual. It is the hardest thing in the world sometimes, especially for somebody who's an iconic figure like Don Cherry became, to, to know when it's been too long at the fair. And and I I think from the point of view of the viewer and the fan, this will split a lot of people. But my own personal point of view is that, that I am, am looking forward to a, uh, if there's a, first intermission guest who comes in and informs us about the game, teaches me about what's going on, uh, more of a Howie Meeker type, if I may, that would, that would be better for me. I think we, we reached a point with Don where we knew what we were going to get. And, and he is a beloved figure in Canada and it is really unfortunate how this all ended. I, I can tell you as an older person, what is politically correct sometime is a moving target as you get older. I, I, I will confess to that, but, but, and that's not to, to reduce what was said because it's an important moment in, in sports in Canada. Uh, but I, but I think that the time was probably even 10 or more years ago when this should have happened. And there's an inevitability about what happened today because I think it was only a matter of time, whether it was this one or another one down the line, we were lurching towards that finality. So that's how I feel. Daniel, you can contribute every, anything that you wish. Well, a couple of things. One, I, I'm completely shocked that he has been fired because uh, there have been so many times in the last what 25 years where he's uh, basically put his foot in his mouth and this you know, why why this time over any other time but it is so justified that he's not there because you cannot um, make those types of comments like if you or I had if we said something right now on this podcast you know our producer would shut us down and we would be fired before the end of the day um, so he's had so many opportunities at Bruce Arthur um had a column, I believe it was yesterday, Sunday, um, documenting some of the the past instances, uh, you know, criticizing Indigenous people. Uh, of course, there was, you know, the visor issue where he, you know, criticized uh, just that Europeans and French Canadians wore visors. And, and the, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Um, and so, yeah, he's, you know, is or was an iconic uh, brand or figure in terms of hockey. And I know some people argue he should be in the Hall of Fame, and that's, I mean, that's a di different discussion. But you, you just can't say those types of things. And and the, the rope that he's had has been so long that it's, it's you know, you know it's unbelievable, really. So I think this, this you know, decision uh, by Sportsnet or, you know, by the CBC in the past, you know, it's been 
long overdue. You know, he should have been gone years and years ago, quite frankly. Um, and, and it's not even just from the things he said, but just the, the, what he provided a recent, in recent years on coach's corner, as you kind of alluded to there, you know, you could basically do the whole segment every week. It was, uh, saying complimentary things about, uh, first responders, uh, which was, you know, fine. Um, defenseman getting your stick out of the way guys coming in look how great they are in suits it was the same rigmarole every week and uh, I think viewers and fans uh, deserve a whole lot more than that just on the the hockey coverage Uh, but then when you're going to uh, completely um, you know disparage uh, a group of people it's just completely unnecessary and and, and not right in today's day and age so uh, again I I think it's long overdue and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada can uh, can provide uh, its fans uh, during the first intermission because uh, I think what uh, was going on there for the last several number of years uh, was just not good enough. Well, I remember Bob Goldham, uh, Howie Meeker, I think Brian McFarlane did it uh, for a time. Uh, I, I know there's a lot of talk about, uh, well, let's get Brian Burke or whatever. I don't think that's going to happen in all honesty. I think they'll do a, a kind of a round table as they do in the second period uh, or for the rest of this year. And then I, I, I simply don't think they're going to create another uh, single solitary individual like Don Cherry, because I think what happened here is, is that a, uh, they all, he almost got so big that there was nothing they as a, as a corporation. And then as a company could do because he became that powerful. And, and, uh, maybe that's the lesson of, of what happened here. But, um, I, I, I have to say that in, in my lifetime, uh, as an observer and then as an individual in the media that with the, uh, exception of Dave Hodge, which was a little bit different uh, situation. It was a one thing that reached a, a pinnacle about a, what, what decision they were going to make about a broadcast. This this is a very, very famous moment in Canadian broadcasting and television history. So pretty wild times, my friend. Are, are you are you thinking of getting into TV at any time? Not, no, not now. And the one thing <laughs> I, I, I will say, though, is, you know, I'm not the most articulate person, and especially, uh, you know, I'll give him a pass in the sense that, you know, he's 85, and it's it's tough sometimes to, to form your opinions and, and whatnot on the air. Having said that, he had the chance, he did talk to the Toronto Sun uh, in an interview, and basically doubled down and, and certainly didn't apologize, and that, you know, when you have you know, 24 hours uh, worth of time to reflect, to probably go back and listen to your own words uh, and realize that you've made a mistake or that, uh, you know, the words didn't come out right or whatever, uh, you you can have that that do-over and it probably would have saved his job. But he has shown no remorse and no uh, willing willingness to kind of change any kind of stance there. So um, I, I thought just, he know, would do, yeah. I thought he would do what Ron McLean did. I thought Ron McLean uh, you know, got out in front of it a little bit. As as of right now, I haven't seen anything. I know that he was interviewed by a Toronto Star, uh, a columnist, but I haven't seen it. Like uh, no statement issued that as of right now that I have seen, which shocks me. They, we are taught in in this industry to get out in front of things, and and I I guess maybe they were thinking he'd do it on Saturday. Well, as it turns out. There's no next Saturday for Mr. Cherry. Yeah, I don't know if I said the the, the star, but it was the tr- uh, Toronto Sun uh, that he had the interview oh, with. But, sorry. Uh, yeah. Anyway, no. so uh, yeah, I think he, he kind of missed the boat on that, and and yeah, that again, I think is yeah, prob- given the fact that he's had so many 
uh, faux pas and missteps throughout the course of his career and, and gotten in some trouble with a lot of different groups. Um, you know, obviously, as you kind of mentioned, the, the goalposts get moved, uh, and, and we, we keep having to, uh, you know, be very politically correct and, and very, you know, uh, accepting of, of different people, which is the way the world should be. Um, but uh, he's had an opportunity to, to walk back some comments, and he didn't do it. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, the, the probably the final nail in the coffin for him. Yeah, and, and uh, we'll see as uh, the weeks progress what happens with Mr. Cherry and uh, obviously on Sportsnet. Daniel, I enjoyed this. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. We'll do it again on Thursday. All right. This has been the All Cam Podcast.